On 14 November 1965, some 450 men of the 1st Battalion, 7th Cavalry, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, were dropped by helicopter in the Ayan Valley. They were immediately surrounded by more than 2,000 North Vietnamese soldiers. It was the first full-fledged battle between U.S. and North Vietnamese soldiers. Later, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore wrote, Senior Lieutenant Colonel Nguyen Hu An of the People's Army of Vietnam and I were doing our best to kill each other. We've been at it for two hours in a miserably hot, humid scrub jungle fringing a football field-sized clearing in the remote Aya Drang Valley of South Vietnam. He was commanding well-trained, well-armed soldiers of the 66th North Vietnamese Regiment. I was a lieutenant colonel, an infantry paratrooper commanding a 450-man air assault infantry battalion. The problem for me at that moment was that I'd only been able to bring in about 250 of my men, I had 16 Huey helicopters, and it was a 20-minute round trip from the pickup loading area. Lieutenant Colonel Ahn was attacking with upwards of 1,800 very aggressive soldiers, fiercely determined to kill us all. I was suffering heavy casualties, both killed and wounded among my troopers. We were in a struggle for survival in the 1st Major Baptist Army and North Vietnamese regulars. Outnumbered and outgunned, Colonel Hal Moore and his men fought their way through the enemy. Moore led from the front. A fierce battle ensued for the following couple of days. Although 79 U.S. soldiers died, the small unit fought with such bravery that the communists had to withdraw. By 16 November 1965, enemy casualties amounted to 1,200. Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. You might not be into military history or even a keen fan of the military itself, but one has to admit that it takes an exceptional leader to inspire men to lay down their lives for a cause. We can certainly learn from these leaders. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, I must say, brother, when you offered up this particular article about Hal Moore, I was like, as soon as I started reading, I was drawn into it, man. I, I have to say thanks, man. This is this is definitely uh, one of those things that I think plenty of people can learn from. Yeah, Hal Moore is, uh, so you know, every military base has their thing, you know. They have their shining moment or a certain battle. Well, I spent seven years, almost eight years in the first cavalry division. And this is, this is ours right here. The Ion Drang Valley and Lieutenant uh, Colonel Hal Moore are huge amongst uh, the first cavalry division. Yeah. I mean, and and I can see, definitely see why, man. I mean, you think about the things that he and, and uh, Sergeant Major Plumley went through uh, leading these soldiers in that battle, I mean, just the thing that you, the things that you just read there to me, you think about it. You had upwards of eighteen hundred aggressive soldiers coming at them, and he only had four hundred fifty men air assault infantry battalions. What it said, and he can only bring about two hundred fifty uh, men in. So you think about it, like they were outnumbered and outgunned like nobody's business. And he, it is crazy when it says seventy nine U.S. soldiers had died, yep. but twelve hundred. 
of the enemy were casualties. That's like, if that's not leadership and that's not like determination and the will to live and fight, like there is, to me, there is no other shining example. I mean, there may be. Actually, you know what? I have to take that back because our <laughs> our man, the Roy Benavidez, he's definitely a shining example also. Of course, his, his, uh, his ordeal took place not too long after this, actually. So, yeah, this is just, yeah. this is amazing, man. Yeah, so when you look through throughout history, too, like, so this, this is, to me, is a more modern-day uh, Leonidas, right? So Leonidas in the 300 facing the Persians. It's very similar, right? Over Overwhelming odds, but what made them stay and fight for whatever that cause was, just like the quote, that, you know, what you read uh, after I finished, I mean, it takes an exceptional leader to inspire men to lay down their lives for a cause. So, yeah, Leonidas at the Battle mm-hmm. of Thermopylae, and now we have my main man, uh, Colonel Hal Moore at the Ion Drang Valley battle. Absolutely. And now didn't uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't you um, not too long ago, because you, you have uh, during your degree plan, you have you go through certain eras of battles and wars and stuff. Did you do anything on this particular battle itself? Well, it's funny that you should mention that. So actually, I had to write a paper for my Vietnam class and I went with air mobility, which was new in Vietnam. And Hal Moore is one of the forefathers of uh, using air mobility. So basically using the helicopter to transport troops. When Ion Drang happens, that's a new uh, that's a new item in doctrine. And Hal Moore was one of the ones that helped fight it and spearhead to get that into doctrine. So, you know, nowadays we think about, Oh yeah, you know, fly a helicopter and land, drop off troops, fly out. That's normal for us. But back then, this is like, oh man, how's this going to work out? And Ion Drang is uh was really one of the testing grounds for it. And, and obviously, it showed that it does work. And if you look at it now, I mean, for instance, uh, where we both just came from, uh, previous unit, 101st Airborne Division, and then in parentheses, air assault. And air assault is technically the uh the birth child of of air mobility it's it's pretty much the same thing it's just slightly developed a little bit different but all the same stuff goes along with it and really it's just a name change in a sense um i i mean i can't i can't say enough about this and how awesome it is just the story in itself and what i want the audience to know is we're actually so we we're we're going through um it's it's an article that uh, ed found and he was actually looking up for quotes for Hal Moore because he wanted to put, put a quote on a, on a previous episode. And what it is, is it breaks down like 10 different areas that, uh, that helps you understand Hal Moore on leadership, which is a book. So Hal Moore, uh, he did a, uh, he has, there's a book about him. It's also, is it Mike Guarda, Guardia, Ed? Yeah, I think it's Guardia, who is still an active duty uh, lieutenant. <laughs> You want to give us uh, kind of like a, a, bra- a background of why this book was written? Yes. Yeah, so actually, the how more on leadership, winning, commanding, and out-trained, the book was written as part of Lieutenant Guardia's um, thesis for college. So this was one of the things. And then he goes on, uh, after writing this book, he goes on to write the actual biography of how more, which is called a soldier once and always, which is the only authorized biography of how more out there. 
Of course, there's also there's a few books about how more out there, though. So we were soldiers once and young. A lot of our listeners have probably seen the movie, but it, it's a book written by Hal Moore mm-hmm. and Joseph L. Galloway, who is portrayed in the movie. He's order that's with the uh, with the guys in Iron Drang. So there's some very good books out there uh, about this legendary leader. And, and like we've always said, you know, the whole idea of lifelong learning, this is one of those times where you can take these key pieces and you can draw from it. And with that book, what I like about it too is you don't have to read that book in succession. You can actually pick it apart. You can go to whatever chapter you want and you can just read one of, one of the, what are, whatever chapter it is. And then you can go to a different chapter and you can just bounce around if you want because it's, it's just a collection of leadership lessons is what it is. Yeah, and you say lifelong learning, Brian. This is where it all came from. It really came from, um, you know, the very beginning was with Hal Moore talking, and he he has a quote where he talks about, to be a leader, you must be willing to be a lifelong learner. Leaders who fail are those who think they know everything or that they have nothing left to learn. They resent having to learn something new or adapt to a new situation. That's straight from Hal Moore. We mentioned it actually in a couple episodes back. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it talked about that same quote. So for me and the lifelong learning and the focus and trying to get it mentioned in the show, it all came from how more in his books. You know, and I'm thinking I was thinking about this, too, as I was reading it. Uh, how nice would it would have been a few episodes back when we were discussing things with Furman and and uh, the Bearded Ninja to kind of bring some of this up and, and kind of see their thoughts on it and, and see if they're similar to what we think or if they have a, a variation of it or at all. You know, I mean, it, it's always fun to me to kind of see other people's points of view, because just like you and I, we we agree on a lot of things, a, a lot. But but then we also have like that those areas where we just kind of we split off and it's pretty much the same direction, uh, but we have a little bit of differences here and there. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting because, you know, those guys came from a different world. Like one comes from the Ranger Regiment, one comes from the uh, traditional infantry, and then you got you who comes from more of an aviation background, and then me who comes from more of a quartermaster support background. So mm-hmm. some of these lessons, it would be interesting how they uh, interlock across those various uh, experiences. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, I think I think it's time to kind of dive into this and really kind of discuss uh, the areas that we talk about. It's basically the 10, it's 10 little areas. And then after each audience out there, after each little area, there's a question to, to be considered. And we're going to, we're going to pose those questions also, but what's going to be cool is I'm going to let you know towards the end of the show. So make sure you listen at the end about the task, because uh, this, this task is a little bit different than what we normally would ask of you. Uh, but, just listen closely to these questions. You ready to get going, Ed? Let's get after it. All right, man. So right off the bat, right here, the very first lesson uh, that's that's talked about is being headstrong. And what we're going to end up doing throughout this, uh, those of you listening, is we're actually going to, these are quotations from the book. So we're going to read about those, maybe discuss them and whatnot, and, and then get points of view on it. So here we go. When the hits and setbacks come, a leader simply picks himself up or herself up and keeps moving forward. That speaks to resilience all day long, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Like they, we all know you have to accept setbacks. Setbacks are going to happen. Things are going to happen. 
you know, in the army, when we do planning, we always say Murphy is, is not going away. It's a thing, but it's how you deal with it. And it's picking yourself up and keep moving forward. I think this is pretty basic uh, leadership one-on-one type of stuff. If you ask me. Absolutely. And I would definitely encourage people at this point, when I think of that, I'm thinking, you know, how more long before uh, a lot of the things we have in act right now with the just say with the army, like for instance, the MRT or the master resilience training, he was doing that before then. Yeah. And I would encourage people to just do a search, go to Google and look up army master resilience training and just do some research on some of the cool stuff that they, they provide. And this is to help people through those times of, because we're going to get at a point right here, this very next quote, it actually answers that about like, if you don't know something about whatever, and it goes as this, there's always a way, either you find a way or you make one. If you can't think of a way, don't hesitate to ask for help. Take counsel from those who have the information and experience. And when I read that, that's exactly what I think about with like, say for instance, the MRT, Ed, we we're we're kind of teaching people how to deal with situations and deal with those times of trial. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, Brian, this is funny. So when I read this one, we've also talked several times about being humble and, and not being afraid to ask for help and not worrying that, Hey, they're junior to me or less experienced to me. So why should I ask them? But you know, and then you asked me, uh, Hey, what would your B be? B B that sounds so weird. If, if I could add one to that episode that when we were talking about being humble, well, I said, be creative. So there's always a way. So that's where that be creative comes in, find a way or you make a way. Um, so I think, you know, this really goes back to previous episodes. Maybe that's a reason that we're doing how more is because a lot of these things are going to tie back into things that we've discussed before, uh, just from a different point of view. I just I, I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to stuff like that of you know being creative and just kind of finding that way. Here's the very next very next quote from the book. There are two things a leader can do. He or she can either contaminate his or her environment and his people or her people with his or her attitude and actions, or he or she can inspire confidence. Right there, contaminate environments. <laughs> Does that not sound like toxic leadership to you, brother? It sounds like toxic leadership, toxic influence to me, man. Uh, I see we're on the same page with uh, what we got reading this article. Mm-hmm. And But then the very next part of it, attitude and actions can inspire confidence. Attitudes and actions can inspire. If you come with it with a good, generally positive attitude and you're trying to, you're, and your actions are driven to do good for others, that that's a whole doing things for other people first. It inspires the confidence that they get. You know, the fact that if you, it, what's that, you know, that one thing, um, I, I think you used to say it, or I've heard you say it before. I can't remember, maybe it wasn't you, but it was try to catch somebody doing something good. Try to catch somebody doing something good. Don't try to catch them doing bad stuff and, and then threaten them and, you know, kind of beat them down, which we're going to get into some more stuff there a little bit, but Try to catch them doing something good and then inspire more confidence in them by giving them words of praise and having a good attitude towards them. Yeah, words of praise are huge. I know I appreciate when somebody says, even if it's just, um, you know, I I really appreciate when it's a junior person that says, hey, Saren, how are you? You know, hey, 
thank you for this or that meant a lot to me. Those are those, you know, hey, you did a great job, whatever. I Those are huge. Think about when you take a physical fitness test and people are cheering people on. You can do it. You're doing great. Those things mean something, right? And it builds win streaks. So those words of praise, I think, are really huge. I like what you said there, man. Win streaks. It's it's literally, it's kind of like that high. Well, I mean, you're probably feeling it right now because obviously you've uh, you've had a, a continuous streak of winning in our uh, fantasy league. But how many is it in a row? Five. I think it's five in a row now. Something like that. Not too bad. Five, you must be feeling good about it, huh? I mean, I'm pretty much a fantasy football genius, but it's fine. <laughs> you and your brother both had to beat me. I can't believe it. That's okay. I'm coming back. I was going to say, you're part of that win streak, right? Oh, stop. That's horrible. All right, we're going to move on now. <laughs> if a leader thinks he might lose in whatever crisis or situation, then he has already lost. He must exhibit a determination to prevail no matter what the odds or how difficult the situation. He must have and display the will to prevail by his actions, his words, his tone of voice, his appearance, his demeanor, and the look in his eyes. He must never give off any hint or evidence that he is uncertain about a positive outcome. And, and don't get me wrong, uh, I, I'm just going to make a blanket statement right now. As we're reading this, I'm not going to keep throwing the he or she, the his or her. We're just going to read it straight off of it. And, and, but it generally reflects to anyone no matter the age, the gender, uh, the lifestyle, no matter what, it reflects upon them. This is all a big thing. But Ed, I mean, that that was a lot to take in on that on that one particular quote, wouldn't you say? I would, but I, I would say that this is uh, one of those things. So could you imagine if, you know, how Moore's there, he's in Ion Drang, you know, they got these 1,800 plus North Vietnamese soldiers and he's got his 250 guys and he's like, oh yeah, we're we're done for like, can you imagine if his guys hear that or see that demeanor in him? What's their motivation to fight then? If they know, Hey, it's just, this is, this is useless. Um, but that's not who he was. So that's great. He gives off this. Oh, we can still win this. This isn't, this is nothing, you know, um, mm-hmm. numerous times throughout history. This has been a thing. Like, you know, uh, well, the birth of our own country, you know, we faced an army that was trained in one of the greatest armies in in the world. Can you imagine if you know old General Washington would be like, "Oh, yep, yeah, nope, they're here. We're we're done. Let's just surrender." No, no, we wouldn't be where we are today. So that giving off that aura, that you know, that confidence that yeah, the odds are stacked against us, but I like it that way. That just that helps. And, you know, it kind of reminds me too, Ed, I, I like to fall back on the Army's mission for the United States. It's to fight and win America's wars, fight and win. That, that to me, that's a that's setting that positive outcome right off the bat in the statement itself, fight and win. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't even think of that. That's That's an excellent point, Brian. Absolutely. Here we go. He, the leader must ignore the dust, the noise, the smoke, the explosions, the screams of the wounded, the yells, or the dead lying around him. That is all normal. He must never give off any hint or evidence that he is uncertain about a positive outcome, even in the most desperate situations. To me, I, I think that's crisis management all day long. Uh, I've uh, Throughout my, uh, my bachelor's degree uh, in 
applied management. I had to go through a, a large portion about crisis management, and that's dealing with the business world. And obviously, I'm going to tell you right now, crisis management in the business world and in the military, they are two different things. But <laughs> at the same time, it's supposed to be the same mindset. And I truly think that uh, Hal Moore hit, he hit crisis management in our profession but those same words, you could switch things around and turn that into any type of situation. Yeah, I, I, this one was pretty good, too. So like you said, and then what came to mind for me, so for us as soldiers, right, we go to the National Training Center and they make our training as real as possible. And what they're really doing is creating that muscle memory to be able to ignore that dust, the noise, the smoke. You know, we got simulators, explosions going off. Uh, when you get wounded, they'll encourage you to, like, be wounded and, and, and play it up. And, I mean, so that the idea behind that is, you know, I'm used to hearing these things and I can still continue to focus on leading my soldiers mm -hmm. and the mission yep. at hand, yep. even though it seems desperate right now. So it's just building that muscle memory, you know. Exactly right. You're exactly right, man. It What it does is it helps us get in the right mind frame and it helps us to kind of fine tune those little setbacks that we could have that he talked about in the very first quote that I talked about. Uh, so last quote before we get into that first question to consider. Don't complain to your boss. He wants solutions, not just problems. Ed, oh my goodness. Oh. this That's the uh, the problem monkey all day long, brother. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because the one of the master sergeants that I work around they have uh, on their on their little whiteboard right hanging outside their office. It says, what's the problem? What are your possible solutions? What are we going to do? And so you don't come in here with the three. Come in here with all three of them. And then we're ready to talk. You know, you and I have talked about this at length. The whole, here's a problem. All right. But well, what, what, what is the possible course of action? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, that's you know, what we need. And I think that's something that we develop too. We talk about all the time, experiential learning. You know, when you first become a leader, first become an NCO, yeah, you can identify problems. You might not be able to identify those courses of actions, but through mentorship and experience, you gain that ability and you get better at, you know, when you get a new job in the civilian sector, you're not the expert. You don't know everything yet. So you may see a problem, but you're not sure how do I go about fixing that problem yet? But as you are with an organization longer and longer period of time and you get groups, you know, you have some bumps, that's where you pick that experience up and, and you get better at it. And then you're able to come with solutions. And that's what all this says is you can come tell me what the problem is, but don't come tell me what the problem is without a solution. That's the bottom line. Now that you said that, I mean, I verbalize that. I verbalize that same statement pretty much. I'm going to do the same thing and I'm going to have a, I'm going to post it up on the whiteboard right there in my office that I have. So when people come in, because it's one of those things, I always catch people reading whatever's on my whiteboard. So sometimes I'll just put whatever up there to see if they read it or not. But I think that it, in the same time, I think what that individual is doing is he's setting up the expectations of a positive outcome. Because if you're coming to me with a problem, the problem usually is something negative and it's going to be negative effects or whatever, or could turn into but if you're coming to me with the negative and then you're bringing up to three courses of action, which should give you a positive right. outcome, then right there, boom, 
So I'm pretty sure those three negatives can outweigh that one or those three positives can outweigh that one negative. And that's, I love that idea, man. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and then, so I think that then it's our job, Brian, is the more experience, right? So if a Sergeant E5 comes in and I'm the E7, E8, I think that's where we do, we look at his courses of actions that he has and we say, well, did you think about this or this? And then he might, oh, that's not going to work then. Now we're down to two courses of action. I think we help him refine, but what we're also doing is building his ability to creatively and critically think moving forward to develop course of actions that are stronger. But that's where our expertise comes in. So we have to use our experience to help build his experience. And then we're grooming him to be our replacement. That's exactly what it is, brother. Exactly what it is. All right. So here it is. Here's our first question to consider that's throughout this article that I'm going to tell you about a little bit later on in our uh, in this particular episode task. Question to consider. Do I have a fragrance of negativity or positivity? So I want you to think about that, everyone. As you're listening to this and you, and you hear these different things, are you setting off an essence of negativity within around within your aura? Are you setting off positivity? We talk about this often. So this is your chance to kind of do a little bit of self-assessment and think about this. All right, Ed, why don't you lead us to the next one, brother? I absolutely will. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore is one of those rare leaders who leads from the front. His mere example invoked bravery in the lives of his troops. And in retrospect, he writes, a leader must be visible to the people he leads. He must be self-confident and always maintain a positive attitude. So this right here, Brian, this is true. And we've talked about this before, too. We talked about how Caesar would fight at, you know, with his legions. We talked about how George Washington was right there fighting at the front, you know, but they're visible to their people. Their people see them, and that's how they led. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Genghis Khan was known to be the first guy into a charge. So that builds that that builds that that trust with your soldiers because they're basically just saying, well, he's not he's not afraid to do the same things I do. And, you know, and that comes through your confidence. And I'm going to tell you with this and how more. So there's a speech in the film that he gives and he basically, you know, I don't remember the exact wording. You can find it on YouTube. You can watch the movie. It's a very good speech. And it, and it's a, it's actually legit. Like it is pretty much verbatim what he said, but he basically said, I promise you, man, I will be the first one off of the helicopter. And he was Yep. when we get there to uh, LZ X-Ray. And I will be the last one to leave the field of battle. And that was the type of leader he was. And that's how he was visible to his men. And he led from the front. And uh, that speech is one of the greatest things ever. We used to use it in, in uh, when you and I was at the NCO Academy. A lot of people would use the video from that film uh, when teaching leadership. So it, it was important. So, you know, be visible, Brian. And with that, it's be visible so people know who you are. It also helps it helps them to also understand and to live up to your expectations too because if if you're never present or you're never you're never uh, giving them the information that you have or how you see things should be, they're always guessing and I nothing could drive me more crazy Ed than uh, somebody trying to guess what my intentions are about a particular project task operation, whatever it is I I want to give the intent give them you know, and be present so they know exactly, you know, and talk about what it is. 
that opens up communication. It really does. And and that, that's kind of what I got from this is you're not only are you visible to the people, but you're also you're showing yourself in a, in a form of communication that allows them to know they're actually on track for what needs to be done. Yeah. And, and I mean, if uh, again, going back to the movie, if you think about he uh, he kneels in prayer with one of his soldiers whose wife just had a, a child. Right. But that's still him leading from the front. He's showing a presence to that soldier. He's building some capital with that soldier. You know, he's having a presence. And then one of the things you said that really stands out to me is you said the intent. And I think, I mean, I, I don't know exact wording for it, maybe in the civilian sector, but we call it the commander's intent. But the understanding of the commander's intent and for the commander to be able to give a clear, concise intent is crucial to all levels of leadership because I, my lowest level will understand why we do the things we do if he understands the commander's intent. You know what I mean? So I just heard you say the intent and it just really, I was like, oh, I got to speak on that. Oh, yeah. And you know what, Ed? I, I have to, uh, I kind of have to diverge a little bit here because when I, when you read that quote also, one other thing that kind of stuck with me is it, it wasn't, you know, Hal Moore wasn't the only one acting this way. Let's, let's look at, let's look at his wife, Julia Moore. A leader must be visible to the people he leads or she leads. Yeah. She was, she was very instrumental in dealing with, and, and you can watch the movie, but you can also read about it in the yeah. books. She was very instrumental in helping spouses deal with the tragic loss of their loved one. Yeah. She was, she led that, that, and she was visible and she was there. She was the one taking those messages and knocking on every door. And she showed a level of self-confidence that he talks about here. And she also tried to maintain that positive attitude. So it's, it was like, it's a shared, a shared thing between a husband and a wife. I thought Julia Moore was a great compliment to um, Hal Moore because she changed the way we did casualty um, notification, you know, like, before before I undrank, literally people were the cab driver was delivering telegrams, uh, you know, to these widows and telling them, hey, you know, sorry about your spouse or, you know, whatever has been has been killed in battle. And that was, you know, that's not acceptable. And what she did is um, she started accompanying these cab drivers. And so that basically made the army look. Uh, into how they did business and it ended up in them setting up notifications teams that had a chaplain yep. and an officer. And nowadays we have some senior non-commissioned officers that do these things. So that that's crucial, especially for these army spouses. Like, can you imagine a, a cab driver just coming, handing you a telegram and you finding out that, you know, your husband lost his life defending the country. So I thought Julia Moore is a great, great compliment to Hal. And Ed, let me ask you this, man would would you would you kind of look at that and consider it also an early form of a family readiness group? Yeah, it kind of was too. And they used to have the little huddles, you know, and they depicted in the movie, but but they depicted the movie for some other benefits. But yeah, no, it's it is a little bit more, you know, into um, I don't know when family support groups started, but it is kind of like an early form of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what's that next uh, that next quote he's got there? Uh, the next quote is, I've been taught for years that leaders must set the example 
and try to do so. But in battle, it is absolutely mandatory. So, yeah, we're saying battle, but this is the same thing. I mean, when you're at work, when you have a deadline and your team has a deadline, you know, that's you to set the example, you to show them you work. You and I have talked about before not being afraid to grab a mop and mop the floor. That's setting an example. That's telling your juniors that it's okay. So when they become leaders, they know it's okay to get down, you know, and and, and dig in the, you know, uh, mop the floor. You talked about one time with the sandbags, filling sandbags and senior leaders. But, mm-hmm. you know, you set the tone as the leader, especially we're talking about being a visible leader. So you're, you're the visible leader. And you have to set the example because you're setting the tone for that organization. And if if you're visible, that's great. That's one thing. But then if you're visible and toxic, that's see, you're, you're hurting the organization, not helping. So, um, yeah, I think it's important to set the example. I mean, it's in, you know, uh, we say all the time, leave from the front, set the example. It's it's all throughout the army and doctrine. Oh, yeah. Now, think about this, too, man absolutely mandatory to me that also reflects upon crisis management you you could take and have the, a completely wrong person in charge of an organization and crisis comes into play it could be it could be anything that happens and they just cower or they they go and hide and they say hey you take care of this instead of leading it straight on taking it, taking the bull by the horns and trying to run with it. I mean, you could you could look at uh, there's been multiple things out there that have happened. Uh, let's just talk about like for instance like the that guy that was the CEO for Uber. Like that went down really really nasty and it was like cuz he didn't know how to he didn't know how to deal with the crisis management piece of it and then they brought somebody else in who understood how to do that stuff. I mean, there's just there's tons of examples. You could look at them everywhere. So, it's really it's mandatory for that person who is the face who is the leader that gets in there and gets things done so they can get through that crisis. Yeah. I mean, Brian, both of us are making excellent points on this. I mean, we already understand again, you know, we're 20 plus years in the military. So it's been ingrained in us to, you know, leave from the front, be the example um, for for those below us to follow even above, uh, you know, if you have a really, a professional junior person, I think it can be infectious to that leader. It can make that leader want to uh, to do better. So let's jump right into the question for this one. All right, here's here's the question that we're going to post later with the text. Uh, am I visible enough for my people? You know, and I think this goes into, you know, we've talked many, many times about walk around leadership and, and just walk around and, and, Ask your ask your your subordinate or your soldier, hey, how was your weekend? Hey, did you end up going, you know, to Youngson? Oh, you did. How was it? Mm-hmm. Just those connections, um, genuine connections, go a long way. So yeah, the question is, am I visible enough for my people? Exactly, man. Let's jump right into number three here. <clears throat> and this this third one, uh, I was actually I was rereading this as I was sitting uh, getting ready to get my haircut earlier at the barbershop. Uh, this one, it really resonates with me. Uh, and, and once I get into it, kind of see why there is a link between self-discipline and self-confidence. We would often see how more that how more places a lot of emphasis on good doses of self-confidence. He would say, for example, be confident, 
but not arrogant. Self-confidence and humility are the keys to getting any job done. Uh, here's a, a small, another small quote. When in charge, take charge, but treat your subordinates with dignity, respect, and common courtesy. Being a leader does not mean that you're instantly the smartest person in the room. Oh, wow, man. <laughs> We've both seen that, my friend. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's, it can be frustrating, can it? And it, it can. It can be frustrating because, you know, people make these assumptions of, of what their role is. Sometimes they're not uh, 100% correct, you know, and, and being confident but not arrogant to me I immediately can pick up on arrogance. I can pick up on arrogance and then I can pick up on arrogance because sometimes you'll have people who are arrogant, but they really don't have the knowledge to even put themselves in that category. So now, now you've got somebody, I guess you would say who is uh, ignorantly arrogant. And it's like, I, I don't understand what you're arrogant about. You have no idea what you're doing. And we've seen this. I've seen this a few times when we were instructors, you've seen people who thought that they were on this other level and then when you actually sit down and watch them instruct, you're like, you're not even that great. Like, so, you know, um, those, those are a couple of the things that really stood out in this quote. I will tell you, this is funny. I had a star first class and one of his favorite things he used to say was when in charge, take charge, big Sarge. That was his favorite little. And if anybody that was with me at Fort hood, listen is listening. They will know immediately uh, who I'm talking about. That was like his catchphrase, man. When in charge, take charge, big Sarge. And it's it stood with me as I developed as a leader because it's actually really good. It's it it makes sense. You know what I mean? I like it, man. I really do. I mean, that's a that's man, you're giving me all kinds of cookies to put in my cookie jar to use later and hand out as treats. Dang, man, that's awesome. <laughs> all right, so here we go with another one. Somehow I never thought of self-discipline relating to self-confidence, but Hal Moore convinced me when he said, a man who has more self-discipline has more confidence in his abilities to do the job. There is a close connection between discipline and confidence. Okay, so that was the one comment that got me, like just tuned me right into all this about Hal Moore. And, and obviously we've both, you know, I've, I've already gone through this book before, uh, and we'd, we'd already listened to something that uh, Jocko did about it, to, you know, the both of us did. And we, we, we discussed it, too. Uh, but that right there, there is a close connection between discipline and confidence. And I truly believe that if somebody is disciplined in whatever it is they're doing, and, and that means like holding true yep. and, 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 and staying the course to ensure it's done correctly, fairly, you know, and it's legally, ethically, and morally correct, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. It helps them with their confidence in what they do. I mean, that's what it says to me all day long. Yeah. So this makes me think about something as simple as, as going to the range, right? If you're disciplined when you go to the range and, you know, you, you do the things that you were taught to do when you shoot a weapon to qualify that helps your confidence. Like if you go out there and you just willy nilly go out there and just start shooting rounds down range, you're probably not going to be as confident, but if you go out there and you take your time, if you take the breaths, if you shoot on the pause, you know, if, if you remember what you were taught on trigger squeeze and you exercise these things right through your discipline, then you're going to be confident. Yeah, I'm good. I can qualify. It's too easy. Uh, and that's just one area. But I mean, it works anywhere. If you're disciplined, obviously your confidence is going to go up. 
Yeah. And and you could take it on and, and to multiple levels too. If I'm not mistaken, not too long ago, when we were talking about power and whatnot, and we were talking within those elements of power, we were talking about uh fit people and how they tend to uh they tend to rise above a little bit. It's the same way if you think about it. If I'm disciplined enough to work out and to take care of myself or try to take care of myself, it's going to help boost that confidence. We, we've already discussed. I, I mean, it's all day long, man. And that's, that's how, that's how you become better every day. Here we go. Here's another one. This is another one of Moore's quotes out of his book. Self-confidence is a vital character trait. As I met and mastered new challenges and successfully completed each year, every new victory increased my self-confidence a mandatory essential character trait for a leader. I learned that I must honestly believe I could accomplish anything. That that's uh Ed, that's that's self-talk. That's positive self-talk. That's basically pushing yourself to do what needs to be done to get it done. Yeah, um and and it is. It and I also think that you could kind of maybe uh throw a little visualization but yeah, every time you do something, so you know, you let's say I don't know, I'm trying to think of something easy to make sense of this. But so when you say every new victory increased my self confidence, so that's why we set goals. So you set a small goal. So when I was trying to uh, train for say a half marathon, right? So my goal this week is I'm going to run, you know, two miles, three miles, and I'm not going to stop. And then, oh, I did that. So next week, let's bump it up to four miles without stopping and running at this pace. And those small victories got your confidence up that by the time you get to your training objective, which is the half marathon, you're confident that you can run that 13.1 miles without much issue. You ran a marathon, half marathon? Yeah, I ran uh, in Clarksville. Oh, no way. Yep. My first one was in Nashville, man. And and when you started mentioning that and I started listening, I was like, wait, he must have been on the same training program I was because we did one back in 2002, my platoon. We actually convinced our platoon sergeant to allow us to do this training program. And he let us, we just ran every day uh, to prepare for a half marathon. It was pretty cool. It was our first ever. And it's, it's definitely an experience. And now that I look back at it and I think about what is said there, Every new victory increases self my self confidence. Mm-hmm. I really felt a new level of self confidence when I complete. You know, and, and you could say it was the runner's high, the endorphins, and all that stuff kicking in. But at the same time, I felt like I was able to accomplish more because I was accomplishing that. You know, so definitely, man, that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the idea. Like uh, every time you run a little bit further than you've ever run before, you're like, oh wow, like I did that. That would seem kind of easy. I can do further. And then next thing you know, you're running all over Clarksville because that's where I always trained at was downtown. Yeah. And those hills because that's where the race was going to be. Next thing you know, you're running like 10 miles on a Sunday around downtown Clarksville in the rain. So, um, yeah, I've only run one half marathon. That was enough. (laughs) You know, but, you know, Ed, I'm going to kind of stress here a little bit about that, though, because we're talking about physical feats. But I really believe, though, you could also set goals for those mental feats to help uh, gain new victories. It could be it could be reading so many books about X, Y, and Z. It could be uh, working on certain areas of relationship and communication. It could be uh, just 
uh, leadership tasks that you want to uh, work on and achieve throughout you know the year, whatever. It doesn't it doesn't have to just be a physical goal. It could be a mental goal or you know emotional goals, all kinds of stuff. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I mean the physical goal just made it easy to illustrate for the listeners, but yeah, it could be anything. It could be as simple as I'm gonna meditate for five straight days. Bam, five days. Ooh, that's a win. All right, yeah. now I'm gonna make. You know, I'm going to go another five days. Bam. That's 10 days. I did 10 days. Like, that's a win. Yeah. Um, oh, and now I miss a day. Okay. So now my goal is my last streak was 10 days. I need to get to 11 days. Now I have a new goal. Mm-hmm. Get there. That's a victory. And then you keep doing it. Now I'm confident that, you know, I'm creating this habit, whatever it is. Um, like you said, it could be reading whenever it is. So it doesn't have to be physical. Physical just made it easier to illustrate, I think. Oh, absolutely, man. Definitely. All right, so here. And hence, when he tried to instill a sense of self-confidence in his men, he stressed self-discipline. And this is what he said. Self-discipline, study self-improvement, leads to self-confidence, disciplined use of technical equipment such as a various software program, charts, records, and comparative study analysis leads to confidence in those tools. Organizational discipline and smooth teamwork leads to unit confidence. When you put these all together, the result is disciplined, confident, efficiency, and professionalism. So you think about it, when you read that, you're like, there's no way that he did he said that during the Vietnam era? No, obviously this is many years later, and he's still, you know, because he obviously worked with this young man in writing this book, but he was still trying to take those lessons learned and help transform them to a more modern age, and it was all about being self disciplined once again. Yeah, yeah, um, which seems to be a, a big theme for for uh, Colonel Moore. I like the organizational discipline and smooth teamwork leads to unit confidence. So we go back to the National Training Center, and there's a reason that we go there and train before we go to combat. And here it is. This is it. We're trying to get that smooth teamwork. Now we're confident in the unit's ability to go to wherever, right? Yes. To engage and defeat the enemies of the United States. So that's why we do those things that that smooth teamwork <laughs> yeah and and obviously you're referring to these training uh training programs that we go to wherever it is but at the same time a a uh, civilian entity they may be going to different types of professional conferences and it helps them learn something new and and become a little bit more disciplined as an organization to improve the organization that they're a part of so, I mean, it works on either side of the aisle here. Uh, and here, here we go a little bit more. Absolutely. If you want to be a better leader, don't start by trying to lead other people. The first person you have to lead and, and discipline is yourself. Thus, if you want to be a better leader, you have to grow in self-confidence. You grow self-confidence by increasing your self-discipline, even in a small matter. You can only lead others if you can manage yourself. And tell you, man, self-discipline is it's just one of those things. Uh, I've, I've mentioned it before. So when new people come to my organization, I have to do, I basically, you know, I, I have to uh, in-process them as the first one. And I have, to, I have to talk about certain things. And one of the things I always talk about, and I've mentioned it on the show before, is I ask them, 
what is of the seven army values, what is the one that they're rooted in? The one that they they completely depend upon and they feel like is that's their personal value that they actually would hold. And to me, I think of the same in the same manner if after they tell me what it is, then I talk to them about how I need them to be self-disciplined in that in that particular value. And they have to display it for others. And it kind of increases confidence not only in them, but also in others in them. I mean, it's just, it's insane uh, to not do such a thing to me because what it does is it helps you build the team more. What do you got, brother? Yeah, this, we, so this is one of the quotes that I used on a previous episode, uh, you know, but it's very hard for me to discipline those that work with or for me if I am not disciplined myself, which goes back to earlier when we talked about leading from the front and being an example. So it kind of all, see how it's all starting to kind of, it all clicks together. It's really crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like a big wagon wheel in a sense. Yeah. Wagon uh, wheel. <laughs> so question to consider, <laughs> you know, I used to say that Uh question to consider what small step can I take towards greater self-discipline? What small step can I take towards greater self-discipline? Bring us on through, Ed. What's next? All right, next. All right, this is one. This is a good one. So it's how to make decisions fast. I really appreciate a piece he had written about decision-making. When a decision has to be made, more distinguishes between logical reasoning and his gut feeling. When I, when my head tells me to do one thing and my gut tells me to do another, I always go with my gut. Why? Because my gut, as I've learned, is rarely wrong. Mm. Instinct is a kind of caution light, an early warning, or a gut feeling which can on occasion result in a far better decision than one based on a logical process. When a quick, when a quick decision is not required, I get all the information, look into the pros and cons, and then back off from it using two approaches. One approach is to reach a tentative decision at day's end. Do not announce it. Instead, sleep on it during the night and reconsider it early the next morning when your brain is fresh. Essentially, he is saying, if you have the time, take the time and reason it out. If you don't have the time, go with your gut. Well, this is interesting. So you, Brian, you face a lot of decisions in your position. Like as a first sergeant, I mean, there's disciplinary actions and, and things of this nature, um, you know, that I think you would have a, a impact if you went with your gut decision in the wrong instance. So as far as this goes, what are your thoughts as a first sergeant, as a senior senior? Well, I can tell you that I am stuck right in the middle of something right now that is reflecting on this. Uh, it's it's about discipline and disciplining someone um, who may or may not have done something that they shouldn't or whatnot. Um, but I actually have sat on it for a little bit to actually contemplate and then talk about it with my peer, uh, who who's the one who kind of recommended uh, discipline towards this individual. And we've actually, we have spoke since then. Um, and we've, we've kind of, we're kind of looking at it at a different angle, you know, because obviously 
we have some empathy with people and we also want to look at the entire story. So to me, it's it's definitely a tough thing though, because you have to be careful, Ed. Um, to, and you know this. You, I know you've been in and you've dealt with it. Because sometimes if you take too long for something, it can cause more damage. Yeah. But yeah. there's other times where you got to go with your gut and you'd be like, yeah, we got to do it this way. And, 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 and it's almost like it's like a feeling you get. And I, I think I think the audience, there are people out there who who listen to us, and they have had that same feeling. It's like ah, I don't know if I sh- we should be doing this. Let's not do it that way. You know, I I uh, I can tell you that I, there's many times that I went with my gut, and I'm glad I did. And there are other times where I debated it for too long, and I wish I didn't. So oh, wow. you, you learn, you live some, you learn all that, man. So what do you got? Yeah. I just think, I think the gut thing. So that goes back to what I say. Uh, I tell my junior leaders, Hey, don't be afraid to make a decision, but if you make that gut decision and it's wrong, just be willing to deal with the consequences of what that decision was. Don't be afraid of that. Um, yeah, this is, this is a kind of a tough one for me too, because you want to make logical decisions, but then there's instances where you have to make a, it has to be a quick decision. Um, so I can't gather all the facts and assumptions and I can't gather all this data and, and then analyze it because I need a decision too quickly for that. So I guess this is what he's talking about when he talks about, you know, if, if you have the time, take the time and reason it out. If you don't, then you got to go with your gut, you know, um, just be cautious. That's what I would say. Be very cautious with, with going with your gut. Absolutely, man. So, and then, uh, so for our listeners, all right, for the, there is a question for this one. It's, do I sometimes unnecessarily delay decision-making because of over-contemplation? This is what you was talking about, Brian. Sometimes that can be, you know, yeah, we say be careful going with your gut, but also at the same time, be careful with taking too long or overthinking it. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that hopefully your uh, experience helps you not do, but yeah, for our listeners out there, do you sometimes unnecessarily delay decision making because of over contemplation? Yeah, you know, Ed, and with that, I would definitely say when decisions are made or things happen like that, and you go with a gut or uh, or a contemplation decision, people need to pay attention to what they did because it's best to learn from it and then not make a bad decision again if it was a bad decision. And um, not every situation is exactly the same, but it's those lessons learned that help us improve from there. So, uh, <clears throat> so here we go. The next one, number five, the need to empower others. Several times more refers to the importance of pushing power down. Before we even get into this, I am all about empowering others. I, I mean, because... <laughs> When you think about it, in any organization, the person who's overall in charge can't do everything and they need to learn to trust. So I think that empowering others is also a gateway to trust within the organization. But here's that first quote right here. In the large staff organizations and field commands I led, my policy was always to push the power down. If a subordinate staff officer, commander, or staff section leader felt comfortable and qualified to make a decision, he could do so with my authority and my responsibility. But I made sure my people knew that I alone was responsible for what my staff or command did or failed to do. 
I'm convinced my trust and loyalty downward resulted in better work habits and higher unit efficiency. I agree completely with that statement. I couldn't agree more. I agree so much that I will tell you there are many times I have said to officers and NCOs in in my organization, the decision you make doesn't affect you so much. It affects the commander because he is overall responsible every time you make a decision that could go good or bad every time. So what do you got, brother? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is something that I just talked to a young uh, NCO about, young staff sergeant. So the staff sergeant comes to meetings with us, and you know, units that we're supporting will ask questions, and he'll say, "Oh, uh, I don't have the answer for you right now. I have to speak to Captain Blah Blah Blah," and he does this frequently, right? Now he he's really good. He's high speed. He does, you know, when he briefs well. He's a little loud, but he does brief well, and he has the knowledge. I, I absolutely have confidence that he has the knowledge, but he always, you know, said, oh, I have to check with. I have to check with. So when he talked to me one day and he asked me, he's like, hey, do you guys think that, you know, that I'm not a performer? And I said, no, the problem I have is that there's a lack of confidence from your captain to you. I said, you go to these meetings. He does not attend a meeting. At that point, to me, he's saying you should be able to make the decisions in that meeting. You're not there to just take notes. You're not there to just be like, oh, uh, I'll get back to you. That's not what you're there. You should be there for. These are high-level meetings. You should be there with some kind of authority to make a decision. Now, I believe that the problem is that captain is not willing to accept responsibility if the staff sergeant were to make a bad call because we worry about our evaluations too much, right? And I think that's... Instead of leading. Yeah, I think that handcuffs us a little bit. Like, I'm telling you, that staff sergeant is a performer, but he's being... Right now, he's on... It's like he's on a leash. He's being held back. And I think that if they would just let him go, they would be like, wow, this dude is performing at, you know, two grades above where he's at. Um, So it's unfortunate, but I did offer him that mentorship. I said, you need to sit down with that captain and say, hey, sir... I feel like I should, I need to be able to make some decisions in these meetings. Here's why lay it out for him Mm -hmm. and just tell him, I need your trust to allow this. And, and this, when you're reading this, that's all I'm thinking about is this young staff sergeant. uh, When you were talking, Brian, Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a, that's quality mentorship right there, Ed, all day long, man. You, what you did there for him is you're helping building his confidence uh, in what he needs to do. Now, if he follows through, that's, that's what we'll see here down the road. Uh, so I mentioned earlier when I said about empowering others and how it's, it's, it allows the leader to take things off their plate so they don't have too much and they're overloaded. Well, this very next comment that uh, Hal Moore has pretty much reflects that. That policy kept a lot of paperwork off my desk and gave me more time to think, to plan ahead, and to create the future. In the field, in battle, or training, that policy developed aggressiveness and took advantage of fast-moving openings to defeat the enemy. And the enemy could be many, many things, Ed. It could be it could be anything, right? Whether it be in you know just doing day-to-day tasks or just going out and doing like a little training op or whatever. What he did was is 
he basically allowed them to move on their own individually and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They knew they knew his plan, right? They knew his intent because he verbalized it to yeah. them. And then they understood, hey, understand this. This is the overall goal. These are the parameters I need you to kind of stay within. Go. And that 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 is fine. I, let me tell you the truth, man. I love how my commander allows me those parameters like that. I've, I've, you know, I've felt different sides of things before throughout my career. And I can say it was always more, a bit more miserable when the, like you said, the leash is on the, uh, the area that I get to work in is tightened down and I don't have as much, uh, room for maneuver, freedom of maneuver. Right. But when it's opened up and, but I have some self-discipline and they have confidence in me. It builds that confidence and it allows for, a, I, I would say, a, a, a organization that is able to develop the scheme of maneuver to fight and win in whatever it is you do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I agree with you, Brian. Like, I think that so basically what it seems like you're saying to me is uh, it's more it's a decentralized command. Right. And we've talked about that. Oh, we're going to get to that. Jocko's talked about, yeah, Jocko's talked about decentralized, decentralized command. You know, I'm skipping a little bit ahead on you, but decentralized decision-making, these are valuable things <laughs> uh, for leaders to to allow to have happen. And, and for the development of leaders, I think it's crucial to let them make some decisions. I'm not saying, you know, uh, make the decision whether we bomb someplace or anything, but let them make these decisions at their level that are appropriate that will de- will develop them. Because one day you who feel like you have to be the main decision maker, you're going to be gone. You're going to be out the military. You're going to be retired, whatever. And now that person that you didn't allow to make decisions is there to make decisions. So it, you got to develop them. And, and I, I really think you can't develop them if everything has to run through you. Exactly, man. I, you know, one of the things I, it reminds me of is when we first started, uh, the new, the new POI, uh, the new lesson plans and everything. And we started getting the, the, uh, experiential learning model, the ELM. Uh, one of the things I used to say to the, the cadre all the time was freedom of maneuver, freedom of maneuver, freedom of maneuver. I just kept preaching it over and over again to get, and I would, they say, if you, if you think you're saying it too much, you're not saying it enough. Uh, I try to emphasize on that so they would take that and run with it and they could they could properly like push and pull the material in the direction it need to go to ensure the students were understanding not to just well here's this we got to talk about this here's this we got to talk about this but ensure that they understood what the lesson was and how to go about it all right so here's another piece Ed this is how Moore said over a short period of time, the, this process clarifies through practical application each person's level of authority with the side effect of freeing the time of the senior leaders to focus on significant problems and not waste time dealing with issues that should have been resolved at a much lower level. And then let's jump right into that mm-hmm. last one right there. You just brought it up. Make decision making will be decentralized. It pays off in the battlefield on the battlefield. I, I couldn't agree more. Could you? No, it, it does. It 
pays off anywhere uh, in your organization when you allow others. Because if you put these two together, I mean, one is saying basically the leader shouldn't be bogged down with decisions that could be made. We preach all the time, right? Uh, handle things at the lowest level. Well, it's more than just discipline. It's more than just, you know, dealing with somebody's financial problems. It's it's decision-making, too, at the lowest level. Let it happen where it can, at the very grassroots, bottom line. And then if it has to go up, let it go up. Exactly, man. And, and just to kind of put a, a, a cap on that is I just want the listeners to think about it. Take all your tasks that you got to do within it that day. Is there something that you could actually give to someone else that would allow to free up a little bit of time so you work more on other things and that you knew that those individuals that you're working with or whatever you're doing, they were more than capable of handling. And probably, if you think about it, how selfish is it for you to hang on to it where they may be able to take it run further than you can, not because you can't, but because you may not have the time, you have the time constraints allow them that ability to kind of run with it and see where it goes. Um, question to consider. So, What's yeah. that? Go ahead, Ed. No, no, this is, I need, I need the question to consider because this sets up my point. All right. Question to consider. Am I bound down by work that others could do if I empowered them enough? So, so Brian, let's go back to my cat and blah, blah, blah. So Captain Blah 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 frequently tries to tell people how he is overwhelmed, how busy he is. He misses meetings and sends staff sergeant to it because I just don't have time to attend. So let's think about the question. Am I bound down by work that the others could do if I empowered them enough? You know what I mean? Like, this is it. If I can get Captain Blah 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 to read this maybe he'll loosen up the reins because this is a guy he's tdy all you know what i mean like he's he is busy i'm not taking that away from him but i feel like there's some things he could probably loosen up and be a little less busy so that that was kind of funny as soon as i read the question i was like oh yeah captain blah 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 fits right here yeah I, you know and i can say I, I learned my lesson on this sometime back when i was working in operations of an s3 and I took on a lot of tasks. I mean, you you would probably remember when I was in there, but I took on a lot of tasks that I really didn't need to take on that it could I could have passed over. And I learned my lesson at that time. And I was only there for a short time because they just needed me to go in there to kind of help get things straight. And then I went back to the company I was a part of. Uh, I actually learned a lot from those very few months that has allowed me to learn to empower others to take on tasks. Now, that does not mean that does not mean, those of you out there, that does not mean take all your tasks and give them away. You still <laughs> have to provide leadership guidance and show them that you can do your job. I mean, you still have responsibilities. But at the same time, yes. allow them the growth by you know giving some of those away. Not all of them, though, right? All right, Ed. Yeah, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you give them your stuff and then you go home for the day. That doesn't mean that. No, it does not, because then that <laughs> that that's actually that's considered a form of right. toxic influence <laughs> or toxic leadership called the absentee leader. Yeah. <laughs> I've known that guy. So there you have it. That's the first five. We've got the first five out of the way, but we still got five more to go, six through ten. I'm excited to get into those next week. Uh I I mean I'm going to go ahead and read ahead and start looking at things, but 
I really loved what we got to talk about today. Uh, Ed, do you have anything uh, to put out uh, to the group or to want to talk about before we end this week's show? Well, I can tell you that this week's show's got me super pumped up about the legend of the first team. So I'm probably going to go watch. I think I'm going to go watch the movie. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I'm probably going to go watch it again. Uh, I'm going to go watch We Were Soldiers today. I just, I don't know. So if you're a fan of, if anybody's ever watched, have, did you ever watch Sons of Anarchy, Brian? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever watched that show? Oh, yeah, all of them. So you remember in the early seasons, there was a character, Opie. He was like the best friend of Jax Teller, like the main antagonist of the show. Yeah. So Opie is the guy that talks to Sergeant Major Plumley about the weather in the movie. He's also fun fact. He's also in Remember the Titans. He's the guy that gets in the car accident. He is. So yeah. I thought that was a fun fact. We cannot repeat what the uh, conversation is about the weather in the film, but it is it is pretty good. <laughs> And, you know, I've seen pictures of Sergeant Major Plumley, but I can only see Sam Elliott as the great Sergeant Major Plumley. And maybe we'll pull some leadership lessons from uh, from Sergeant Major uh, Plumley at some point. Uh, I actually I do have another. Uh, there's a movie called The Man Who Killed Hitler and then Bigfoot. And it's Sam Elliott. I just saw it on like Netflix or something. Oh, wow. And I was like, I'm going to have to watch that just for the heck of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Strange <man>. title, though. <laughs> no. But yeah. So I can't wait, uh, Brian. Uh, I, I I always enjoy talking about a good first Cav trooper. Absolutely, man. You know, and uh, so those of you listening, you know, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff today. You're not getting a task, so to speak, this week. Just if you get a chance, go on and share what we do. Uh, give us a thumbs up, you know, like our stuff. Um, maybe share it uh, across Facebook or Instagram, whatever it is. But really, you're not, we're not going to give you a task this week. Next week, though, we're going to give you a task and we need you to complete it. So be sure to tune into next week's episode. And I think, I think you're going to, you're, you're going to think it's an easy task, but I, I think if you really do it and you really take care of business with it, then you're going to realize it's not as easy as you think. All right. Um, Ed, do you have anything else for the audience before we let them go? No, uh, just look forward to, uh, to talking to them on the next episode. We thank you for listening to part one of this Hal Moore on leadership type situation. But with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. We thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.